If you would take your Bibles to John chapter 7, John chapter 7, uh, we appreciate Brother Gleiser last week and uh, preaching to us and ministering to our school uh, over the last week, and now we're back in the Gospel of John, and uh, we come to John chapter 7. We're seeing in the book of John the conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders really ramping up, and we'll see that more over the next uh, several chapters. But I want to talk to you today about the topic of antagonism. Antagonism. You know, antagonism has become a normal part of life for most people. Some people, even in the church, believe being an antagonist is their spiritual gift. And... Um, you know, every good book, every good story has to have an antagonist. And so every person believes in their life there has to be antagonism. This word means to be um, active hostility or opposition. It means an ongoing aggression or animosity between two individuals or groups. An example of antagonism is when a group of students repeatedly maybe bullies another group. It's the idea of showing dislike or opposition, being hostile or unfriendly. And it seems like we have to be antagonistic toward others, maybe to help ourselves feel better. The reality is everywhere we are, it's not enough just to, to be ourselves. It's not enough just to maybe even be good or better or the best, but we have to make other people feel lower uh, than we are so that we can feel better about our, ourselves. You, you see this in the area of sports. A lot of times the players are maybe for a lack of better terms, idiots, right? The way they treat each other on the court or on the field or, or something like that. It's not enough just to be winning, but, but now we have to rub it in. We have to get in their face. We have to mock them. Maybe if the team that's losing uh, does something good and they celebrate it, we don't, we don't like that. And so we have to tell them, remind them that they're losing and, and try to put them back in their place and, and make them feel lesser or lower lower than we are. It's not enough just to win, but we have to be antagonistic about it. You know, a lot of times the kids do that because their parents do that. And we see that reflected in, in, in the sports event. But you know, it's not just sports, it's every aspect of life. We, we, have to, we have to pull ourselves up and put ourselves above other people, and so we're going to be antagonistic. You know, some people, it just seems like it's just their, in their nature. Every word that comes out of their mouth you know it's going to be antagonistic. It's going to be something to put other people down and, instead of edifying. You know, it's amazing if you read through Scripture how often God talks about what we do with our mouth, what we do with our, with our tongue. And, and should I say, maybe it starts before that. We often hear people say, well, I speak before I what? Before I think. Sometimes you should just not speak, all right? Whether you think or don't think, just, just don't speak. So many people, when they open their mouth, are, are belittling people, they're antagonistic, and you know, we struggle oftentimes with others getting something that we don't have, maybe getting accolades that we want for ourselves, and it's amazing how antagonistic we can be even towards people that love us or towards people that we love, but it definitely happens with people that we view as our enemy. 
In John chapter 7, we have in this passage an antagonism toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, it's not from the Pharisees this time, but it's from his own brothers that he grew up with. As I mentioned over the next four chapters, we're going to see this conflict between, in Christ's life that will ultimately lead him to his crucifixion. But today, in John chapter 7, we see an interaction between Jesus and his very own half-brothers. His own brothers are not going to believe that he is the Messiah. His own brothers are going to challenge him and be antagonistic towards him. I want to encourage you today. I, I want to I, I encourage you to be honest with yourself today. Because, you know, one thing that we do oftentimes is when we hear a sermon or we're challenged particularly about a character trait, we analyze the people in our lives. We, we analyze our spouse, our children, our coworkers, our boss. And, you know, they always have the problem. They, they're always the one that are wrong in this area. They struggle, and we're blinded oftentimes to our own problems in this area. And so I want you to consider your antagonism towards other people as we look at this passage and we look at particularly learn from the life of Jesus. Father, we thank you for the gospel of John and, Lord, how it's helped us to look at Christ and see him for who he is and Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here today that does not understand who Christ is, may today their eyes and their hearts be open to the truth and to the gospel. And may they come to not only know who he is, but believe on him and receive eternal life. But Father, in our walk with you, those of us that are believers, may we be encouraged, strengthened, challenged, come under conviction in this area, Lord, of our relationships with other people and our antagonism towards one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have three points this morning. The first of, all, first of all, I want you to see the context. Look at verse 1, if you would, with me. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Jewry. That word Jewry is another word for Judea. Because the Jews sought to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the tabernacles was at hand. Now John chapter 7 has three main sections as you read through this chapter. There's before the feast, which we're going to deal with uh, today. Next week we'll move on to the second section, which is right in the middle or in the midst of the feast. Excuse me. And then the last section will be that last day uh, of the feast. But some have also outlined this chapter by disbelief that we'll see today in his brothers, by debate, and then by division, which we'll see in the coming weeks. But John starts off this chapter and he says, after these things. And I want to bring your attention uh, back to what we've learned over the last uh, few months. And, and if you're visiting with us, where we, how we've kind of got here today. Um, after these things, talks about really all, after all that happened in chapter 5 and chapter 6. And if you'll remember back with me on chapter, in chapter 5, Jesus healed the man on the Sabbath day. And this began conflict. Uh, the Jews, they, they lived for the Sabbath day. They, they worshiped really the Sabbath day more than they did the creator of the Sabbath day. And, um, and so they became very legalistic. And, and Jesus healed the, the man by the pool on the Sabbath day. And this upset many uh, in that time. Then we had in chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. And, and Jesus then walking on the water. And, and then we find Christ stating to those that are there listening that I am the bread of life. And he speaks about the fact that eternal life only comes through him. 
At the end of chapter 6, we'll see that many of his disciples no longer walked with him or, or followed him. They were only there for the show. These so-called disciples were only there for, for what they could get. And now that he is, he is preaching and now that he is speaking the truth, the Bible said that these were hard things. They, they weren't hard things for them to understand, but they were hard things for them to accept. And they did not want to listen to the truth. And the same has been true throughout the church history. People want what they can get, but they don't want the truth. They, they want to be taken care of. They want handouts. They want, they want gifts. They want to be entertained. They want to feel good about themselves. But when we start preaching truth and standing on the word of God, now, wait a minute, you're being nosy. Well, well that preacher's just meddling. We, you know, we say things like, you know, they're, they're getting in my business. They're stepping on my toes, and, and we don't like that. And so what happens is we begin to see people that, that fade away. Because they don't, like, they don't like the truth. And so he says, after these things, this was, when we come to chapter 7, there was a period now uh, from the end of chapter 6 to chapter 7 of about six months. The other Gospels, if you'll go through them, give us the information about what was going on in Christ's life during these months. But John's purpose was not to give every detail, but what we needed to understand who Christ is and believe on him. If you're interested in those events, you can go back and read Matthew chapters 12 through 17 and chapter 21, and you get a picture of this time period. So John says, after these things, so after all of this has happened, and now after really the beginning of the conflict, after Jesus has upset some people, after he's challenged them about some things, after he's pointed out to them that he is the only way to eternal life, he is the only way to have a relationship with God, the Bible says here in these verses, he would not go through Judea. The, opposite, the opposition was so strong at this point that the Jews wanted to kill him. They hated him for all that he did and what he had preached. They hated him and they wanted to kill him. And this is the first point I want you to get. You know, we strive in our life to be liked by everybody, don't we? We don't want to upset anybody. We don't want to make, we don't want to make people feel bad. And yet we see in Christ's life when he stood up for truth and righteousness, it was automatic that people were going to hate him. And the same should be true for us in our life. Hey, listen, I want you to understand, if you've never stood up for, if, if you don't have anybody in your life that is against you or that doesn't like you, then you've never stood up for the truth. That's just the reality of, of life. I, I was talking to somebody one time and, and they said, you know, I, I don't like to go to funerals where they, they preach. That's what they said. I don't like to go to funerals where they preach. I just want to hear stories uh, about the person's life and all that stuff. And really, that's people's mindset no matter where they go. They, they don't want to hear preaching. They don't want to be challenged. They, they don't want to hear the truth. They just want to hear stories. They just want to laugh and, and be entertained and, and feel good uh, about themselves. Because what, what happens is, is when, when the truth is preached, people get angry. My, listen, as, as a believer in Jesus Christ, and, and I know as, as a pastor, there's going to be people inside the church and outside of the church that aren't going to, that aren't going to like me. It, that's just a natural reality of, of serving God because it happened to Jesus. And so it's going to happen to us. And I, and I would submit to you this, the more you're like Christ, the more opposition you're going to have. The more compromise you have in your life and the more you distance yourself from truth and from the word of God, uh, the, the more people are going to like you. 
the more you blend in with the crowd and, and instead, of, instead of standing out. But Jesus stood up for truth, and when we stand up for truth, the same thing is going to happen to us. There's going to be opposition. Hey, hey, listen, look at the world today around us. There is opposition against everything the church stands for. I mean, in the political realm and in the local realm and in the school systems, everywhere you go, there's opposition against, against the truth, against Christianity, against, against the word of God. And the same should be true in your life and my life. Hey, hey, listen, there should be opposition in your family. There should be opposition in your family. Well, you know, they're my family. I, I, I love them. If you love them, then share the gospel with them. If you love them, then live the word of God before them. If you love them, confront them with, with the truth. This idea of, listen, I don't want to be offensive to them because they're my family. I don't want to push them away. Hey, we're going to see here in just a moment, Jesus had great conflict between him and his brothers. But listen, he stayed true to the word of God because the Bible says to us it wasn't God's time. It wasn't God's time. Now we also see in the context here in verse 2 that this was the feast of the tabernacles or booths. And so I want you to understand. In John chapter 6, we see the second, we see the Passover. Jesus celebrated the, the Passover. This was the second Passover that Jesus would celebrate during his earthly ministry. And then everything in John chapter 7 will happen around what is called the Feast of the Tabernacles. Now, there were three feasts in Israel that were mandatory. There was the Passover feast, there was the Feast of Pentecost, and then there, were the, there was the Feast of the Tabernacles. And this Feast of Tabernacles, or, or booths, some call it, was six months after the Passover. This was a celebration of their time where they wandered in the wilderness, where... And, and they would literally build shacks and, and, and booths, and they would sleep in them during this time there in Jerusalem uh, for up to eight days. And, and they would celebrate and be reminded how God provided for Israel in the wandering years, those 40 years in the wilderness. But it also means that Jesus is now six months away from his crucifixion. And so here in John chapter 7, we're six months from the second Passover of Christ's ministry. And then we're also six months from the third Passover of Christ's ministry when he will ultimately go to the cross for our sin. So that's what's going on. Jesus is having conflict um, be, but with the Pharisees. He, he has conflict with um, those false disciples that don't like what he is, is saying. And, and now we're at this Feast of Tabernacles. And then we see number two then, the conflict. And really it's the conflict, uh, not between Christ and the Pharisees, but between Christ and his brothers. Look at verse three. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart hence and go into Jerusalem, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself then to the world. For neither did his, his brethren, excuse me, believe in him. His brothers were being antagonistic towards him. These are his actual uh, brothers, half-brothers here in chapter 7. Mary and Joseph um, had other children, and so these would be the half-brothers 
of, of Jesus. Now, we don't know much about all the siblings of, of Christ. However, we do see a glimpse of them here. Now, later on, some of them would become believers. It's believed that James, who wrote the book of James, and, and Judas, or Jude, who wrote the book of Jude, uh, were half-brothers of Jesus, and they would even be here, um, some believe, in this conversation. But their question to him is, if you are this great Messiah, if you're this great Messiah, then go and, and show, your, show yourself. They were telling him, go to Judea. Remember, Christ had lost disciples. And he said, listen, if you're great and you can do all these miracles, and, and, and go to Judea and, and do the miracles, and you're going you're gonna to get a big following. Because, listen, if anybody could do the things that you're doing, they're not going to hide it. I mean, they're going to they're gonna want to get out there, and they're going to want to get attention. They're going to want followers. They're going to want to become <clears throat> They're going to want to become. Um, popular in the society in which we, we live in. And so he says, they say to him, if you want to get this crowd back, then go and, and do these things. And really they're mocking, they're mocking Jesus. As we see, they did not believe that he said he was who he said he was. Think about it for just a moment. They lived with him. You know, sometimes people that are the closest fail to see the truth. And familiar, f- being familiar with Jesus does not guarantee belief. We have to be very careful. We have to be very careful with people that grow up in the church. You hear people, you know, do you know Christ as your Savior? Oh yeah, I grew up in the church. There's a difference in growing up in the church and having your, being saved and having your sins forgiven. There's a difference in being religious and being a believer in Jesus Christ, being a, a Christian. There's, there's a difference in being a disciple and being a disciple. What do I mean by that? There's a difference in being a disciple that's there for the show and to get something. And when things get hard, I leave, like we see in verse or chapter number 6, than being a true disciple, a true believer that has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and putting their faith in Him. And the, those that we see that will remain with Christ through. There's a difference in, in being religious and being a Christian. And sometimes we, we, we just believe that, well, they've always been in our church. Or they've always been here, and so therefore they, they must be a Christian. You know, they grew up here. They've been around Christian parents. You know, I've met many, time, many pastors' children who in their 30s, 40s, even 50 years old, come to realize they've never accepted Christ as their Savior. I remember I was interning at a church in Pensacola <clears throat> when I was in college, and we were having a, having a revival, and, and the pastor's daughter came down during the, during the invitation, and she was the, the church secretary and had been there in that church her whole life, and, and she came down at 40-something years old and, and accepted Christ as her Savior that night. You know what the church did? You know, they rejoiced. And they praised God. You know, sometimes we think, well, everybody believes I'm a Christian. What are they going to think about me? Listen, who cares what they're going to think about you? What, what is your relationship with God and what does he think about you? But I guarantee you, listen, whether you're five or 105 in this room, the church is going to rejoice when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. 
But don't come to believe or think that because you're part of a church or you're religious or you're from a religious family that that means you're, you're right with God and you've had your sins forgiven. This idea of salvation is a personal relationship. This is something that's between you and Jesus Christ personally. And, and you could have the greatest parents and parents that are saved and serve and faithful and give and, and do and die and go to hell if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus' own brothers who grew up in his home had the opportunity to, to see Christ. No doubt didn't like him growing up. I mean, let's be honest. All right, I was the perfect kid in my home. <laughs> I never did wrong in my own mind. But he truly never did wrong. You know, every family has the favorite kid, right? And the one that never gets in trouble, we, we all think that. And we always think it's our sibling, right? It's never us. We always think they never get in trouble, but that would be true in this case. And, and I'll just be honest with you. From a human standpoint, a, a law standpoint, that would get annoying at some point. Like, he never gets in trouble, mom. I mean, he never gets in trouble. I mean, could you imagine Christ, you know, in the bedroom, probably in a small little home, preaching to his brothers? You know, listen, I'm the Messiah. Bow down and worship me. I mean, good, good grief. I mean, he never, they always had these issues with him, I'm sure. I'm sure of it. Now, that's my own view. That's not in the Bible, all right? That's my own thinking. But we see here they're still antagonistic. They did not believe in Christ. And so here they're pushing him. Hey, why don't you go? And, and here's another point I want to make. Popularity in the world should not be a priority for us in our life. They said, hey, why don't you go and do your miracles and you'll get another crowd and you'll, you'll get all these disciples. And what does Jesus say? My time's not yet. It's, it's not my time. That's not why I'm here. Jesus didn't come to be ministered to, but he came to, to minister. He came to seek and to save the lost. He, he didn't come to, to sit on a throne and, and to be the most popular and to get a crowd. He came to do the Father's will. And so then that brings us then to our third point, Jesus' commitment. Jesus' commitment. <clears throat> we see that Jesus, look at verse 6, was on God's timetable. Then Jesus said unto them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always ready. The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil. Go ye up to this feast. I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet full come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee. I want you to notice here Jesus' commitment. <clears throat> Jesus was committed to God's plan and God's timetable. Jesus was on a divine timetable and he did the Father's will. It wasn't about proving them wrong. It wasn't about proving them wrong. Have you ever found yourself in that? Somebody's antagonistic towards you and what's your, what's your goal? Well, I'm going to show you. I'm going to prove to you. I'm going to get back. I'm going to get back at you. He was not committed to getting his own way or getting the attention or even showing, showing out to them. He was committed to the Father's purpose and plan. You know, I want you to see from here in this passage Jesus knew what it meant to be misunderstood. You know, we struggle with that, don't we? We struggle with being misunderstood because we want to be accepted. We, we don't want to stand out. 
We want to be in the popular crowd. We want to, to, to be promoted. But you know, when we look at Christ's life, we see that he understood what it meant to be misunderstood by his own family. You know, it's amazing to hear people's salvation testimony, whether you grow up in a Christian home and are saved at a young age or you go through some disaster, whatever it might be. But, you know, it it's always amazes me when you meet somebody that was willing to sacrifice even their family relationships to accept Christ as their Savior. Maybe they're from an Islamic background or something like that, and their family shuns them because of their, because of their faith in Christ. We heard a little bit about that on Wednesday night. Uh, when we were talking about watching and watching that video on, on China and, and missions there and people being saved and, and, and their husbands leaving them and their family disowning them and, the, and those type of things. And it's amazing. People are willing to give up all of those relationships because they understood who Christ is. And they accept him as their savior and they live their life for him. And yet we struggle, we struggle just to have people not like us or be upset with us or not to want to come over for Thanksgiving dinner or, or whatever it might be because we're standing up for truth. But listen, Jesus understood what it, Jesus knew what it meant to be misunderstood and not accepted at this time. But I want you to notice he was on God's timetable and he says to them, my time is not yet come. Before the foundation of the world, God made this plan and Galatians chapter 4, we see in the fullness of time. In God's timetable, in God's plan, he sent his son. And Jesus said he would follow God's will and he would follow God's timing. You know, we struggle when we get antagonized. People can push us to do something that we shouldn't do. People push us to, to, and to make us angry and to get us frustrated and to get a reaction to get a reaction out of us. Can I tell you that there's always going to be evil people? There's always going to be foolish people, people that will want to antagonize you to get, to get a rise out of you, to get a reaction. Now, I was saved at the age of 16, so I'm going to tell you a story before I was 16 years old, okay? Uh, I was a little jerk at times, all right? Uh, I love to play basketball, and um, I was the biggest trash talker that you would ever believe. I know it's hard for you to believe today, as nice as I am and as gracious as I am today. But I was the biggest trash talker. I would talk trash, and I would do everything I can to annoy the opposing team, to get a rise out of them, to get them frustrated. And, and you know what? Antagonism didn't bother me. You could say whatever you want to me, and it didn't phase me one bit. But I realized that most people, that wasn't the case. And so I would run my mouth, and I would, listen, there's always going to be people like that. There's always going to be people that want to get a rise out of you. They want to, they, they want to see if you're, even if your faith is real. You know, I always love it when people say things like, I thought that was, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. I am, but I'm still, I'm still flawed. I'm still sinful. I still have emotions, and I still, ha I still deal with, with this sinful world and sinful body that I, that I live in. It's always amazing when people say, you know, I thought that was a Christian school. I thought, that, I thought you'd go to church. I thought you were a pastor. And Hey, listen, we're all people, and I understand that. Uh, and people are always going to do what they can to try to, to push you to do something that is maybe sinful or wrong or to, to make you angry. Jesus' brothers are antagonism. Hey, why don't you go do, show your signs if you're this big guy, and you'll get these followers and show you... 
commit, or get your disciples to see you and get other disciples to, to even follow you. But Jesus said, that's not what it's about. That's not what it was about. The world was looking to kill him because, notice what he says there, he testified of the fact that they are evil. And people will hate us, as I mentioned, if we speak the truth and we call out their sinfulness and they'll want to even attack us. But Jesus tells them, hey, listen, you go. You should be there at this feast. And, and, but they're so busy attacking him, they're not even doing what they're supposed to be. As, a, as an Israelite, they should be there observing this, this feast of tabernacles, and yet they're back home in Galilee and being antagonistic toward Jesus. Hey, hey, listen, mind your own business. Well, that's not how he says it, but that's the way I'm saying it. Mind your own business. Why don't you go? Because I'm going to follow the Father's will. And if I go, they're going to want to kill me. But I want you to know, when it is his time, when it is his time, he will go. It's not his Father's time, but in six months from now, it's going to be his time. And guess what? He's going to go. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to go to, to, to have a false trial. He's going to be accused of something that he didn't do. And, and he's going to ultimately go to the cross. Understand this. It's not his time in John chapter 7. But when we go through the gospel of John, you're going to see when it's time he's going to go. And you know why he goes? He goes for you. He goes, he goes for me. We see great restraint in our Savior when he's being antagonized by, by his own siblings. And one day he'll go to the cross. And as he's antagonized by the crowds, he'll keep his mouth shut. And he'll ultimately die for your sin and for my sin. But I want you to see some lessons from Christ-like as we finish up. How can we deal with antagonists in our own life? Number one, realize antagonists are never happy. Antagonists are never happy. They're, they're always looking to cause trouble and stir up strife. They're always complaining. It, it, it's, for some reason, it's just who they are. It's how they act. And because they're always looking for somebody else to attack uh, for one reason or another. So number two, then make sure, make sure that you cement your calling and focus. Make sure you know who you are. You know, it, it really doesn't matter what other people think about you. Because there are people in your life right now that think you're great. Probably your mom and your grandmother. But, you know, listen, there are people in your life that think you're great. But there are people that don't like you. It's just a reality of life. And sometimes it's because of what you've done or said. But you know, some, there's just people that don't like you for no good reason. They just, they just don't like you. So you have to know who you are. And that's what we see in Christ's life. Listen, he knew who he was. And he knew his purpose in life. He knew why he came. And nothing was going to deter him from that. You know, people get discouraged all the time. Well, I'm not going to that church because of this person. Listen, who cares about that person and what they have to say about you? You come to church to worship God and fellowship with believers and be encouraged in your faith. Listen, there's always going to be antagonistic people. It's just a reality of life. Hey, but listen, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. 
You know what? I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm part of his family. I'm a member at Grace Baptist Church. So you know where I'm going to be on Sunday morning? I'm going to be at Grace Baptist Church. Because if I don't show up, you're going to call me and say, hey, where were you? Nobody preached a sermon. I mean, what are we going to do if you don't show up? I mean, it's just a reality. But listen, as a believer in Jesus Christ and as a member, I'm going to be here. Because I know who I am in Christ. Hey, listen, you might not like me and you might not like what I have to say, but I know who I am. And I know what my responsibility and my purpose is. And I'm not going to let people deter. Listen, life's hard. I understand that. There's going to be people that attack me and for my faith and for my stand in Christ and all that. Hey, but listen, I know what, what God's called me to do. So you have to cement in your mind and in your life your purpose, who you are in Jesus Christ. And then make sure then to confess, number three, make sure to confess your antagonistic spirit. We want other people to deal with their antagonism, antagonism towards us, but we have to make sure in our life that we're not antagonistic toward other people. Well, you don't understand how they treated me. I don't care how they treat you. I, I, I care about what your responsibility is. Our great example is, is Jesus Christ. From John chapter 7 until the end, when he goes to the cross, you're going to see antagonism after antagonism after antagonism. And you know what Christ does every time? Every time without fail, you know what he does? He responds appropriately. Well, listen, it just gets hard. I understand that. It's just, listen, it's constant. Listen, I understand that. Then take steps to get away from it, to, to, to not allow it to be constant in your life. You know, the Bible talks about when people are evil to you, what are we to do to them? Heap on them what? Love, good works, kindness. Well, listen, they don't deserve it. I understand that. From a human perspective, they don't deserve it. But that's what we're called to do. We can't react and retaliate and be vicious towards other people. Hey, listen, we can't gossip. You know, you know when people think that others are talking about them, you know why that is? Because they talk about other people. People think, well, they gossip about me. You know why? Because you're gossiping about them. Hey, listen, make sure that you're not antagonistic. Make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do. Make sure that you're doing right. And you can't control them. How do we deal with antagonism? Hey, listen, when, when somebody's antagonistic towards you, tell them you love them. Hey, say, listen, I just want you to know I prayed for you today. When somebody calls you an idiot or a name or something like that, hey, I just want you to know I prayed for you and I love you and I'm going to keep praying for you and, and just see what their reaction is all about, all right? See how they respond at that point. Maybe they just quit talking to you and then they won't be antagonistic towards you anymore. Jesus dealt with antagonism. We have to deal with it in our life. We, we know that. Let's learn the lessons that Christ learned. His purpose his plan was to do God's will, to live for God, to honor his Father, to keep his timetable. May we in our life, when we're attacked and we're persecuted and those antagonists come into our life, may we stay faithful. We're not to react in anger. We're to react in kindness. We're to react like Christ would. Now think about, how did you react this last week when somebody was antagonistic towards you? How are you going to react this next week? Let's stand together. Father, we thank you for the example of our Savior. Lord, we know that living for Christ in a world that hates him is going to be difficult. 
And there's going to be those that, Lord, attack us as they did our Savior. Father, help us to follow his example in how we respond.